Hello and welcome to Michigan and Other Mayhem, the show about Michigan, murder, mysteries, histories, and other mayhem from around the world. Your hosts are Allie and Jen. Okay, Jen, let's do this thing. Okay, I was going to do one on real urban legends. And then I was talking to Terry and he mentioned an urban legend. I was like, oh, I think that one's real also. And I looked it up and thank you, Terry. <sighs> do you want to go first? I have some kind of scary stuff, some not scary stuff. It's up to you. I have a murder. Okay, you go first. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you went first last time though, right? All right, I'll go first. I'll go first. My shit's not that great either. Okay, ready. The first one, and I and I think you really should Google the images to see what I mean. Okay. Is they used to call him Charlie No Face. So Raymond Robinson was born on October 9th, 29th, 1910 in Western Pennsylvania. He was nine years old in 1919 when he climbed up a pole trying to get a bird's nest and Raymond accidentally touched an electrified trolley line. And that had that touching the trolley line had actually killed another little boy a few months earlier. Just one touch you did, right? So Raymond was ex- electrocuted so badly that the skin on his face melted. So he lost his eyes, his nose, and his right arm, which is what had touched the, the um, wire. Mm-hmm. So the skin on his face and his, you know, had melted over his eyes. That's how he has no eyes. And where his nose was, it's just a dark hole because all the skin had melted off his nose. And it looked like he had no face, right? His eyes are, the skin's over his eyes. The, the nose is missing. It's just a hole. So he got the name Charlie No Face. So Raymond had lived through that tragic accident, but he was afraid to go out in public, right? Because yeah. people. So he often took long walks through Koppel, which is where he was from. Most frequently down State Route 351 at night. So he'd walk at night for his exercise. That's who was getting out. Which actually just let, fed the legend, right? A dude with no face is walking down the street at night. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. So his appearance gave rise to the rumors of a man with no face stalking the town. And they named him Charlie No Face, or they called him the Green Man. And the Green Man came from the myth that the electrical shock turned his skin green. It didn't, but that's what kids tell you, right? Yeah. So children told stories of him living in an abandoned house and hiding during the day. But really, um, Raymond lived with relatives. He was blind, right, because the skin's over. But he made money by making belts and wallets and doormats. And Raymond did prefer the company of his relatives to people and people he'd known for a long time because he's comfortable with you, you know. He would, though, he would also allow short conversations with strangers or pictures in exchange for beer and cigarettes. And Raymond did prefer to take long walks at night down the state route. And he didn't stop doing that, the long walks, until he was in his 70s, even though he'd been hit by a car before. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then he entered, a, he in his early 70s, he entered a geriatric home and he died in, at age 74. Hmm. Well, I was oh. just like, whoa. It was real. Charlie No Face is real. Okay. The Bunny Man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's a couple variations of the Bunny Man. And... It usually involves an isolated road. Okay. A man in a bunny mask or a costume. It could be a mask, could be a costume. And then you need an, either an axe or a hatchet to round out the whole scenario. All right. And But the, the um, legend of the bunny man is based in reality. So in Burke, Virginia, on October 19th, 1970, a cadet, a cadet in the Air Force named Robert Bennett and his fiancée were driving around after a football game and parked on Giddy Road. I'm like, oh, they were trying to fuck. Ooh. Maybe that's why you drive to an old isolated road out in the middle of nowhere. 
nowhere. At least that's what I did as a kid. Or smoked weed. <laughs> they thought they saw something outside the window. and Because, you know, it's all fogged up. You know what I mean? And soon, like, they, they're like, what is that outside the window? And all of a sudden, boom, the front passenger window just gets smashed in. And outside the car, they could see a man dressed in white. And the man shouted at them about being on private property. And he kept saying that he had their tag numbers. I got your tag number. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's an old man. That's, that's what old people yell. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I know I'm almost one. So as they're driving off after Robert turned the car around, the couple noticed that there was a hatchet lying on the floorboard of the car in the front. That's what had smashed the window. Mm. So when giving the police their descriptions, because they're separate, right? Robert said that the man was wearing a white suit and had bunny ears. And his fiance told the police that she thought he was wearing like a white pointed hood, oh. like the KKK. So the police do collect the hatchet from the car. There's a hatchet in the car. So 10 days later, October 29th, 1970, Paul Phillips ran into a man in a bunny suit. Paul was a security guard at a construction area. That's where they're building houses, but they're not quite built yet, right? He noticed a man standing on the porch of an unfinished home off a of Guinea Road. Again, Guinea Road, right? The man was wearing a bunny suit that was black, gray, and white. Paul guessed that the man's age about 20 years old. The man was holding a long-handled axe, and he was chopping at one of the porch's posts. So he's like, and like looking at the guy while chopping the post. That's freaky. Yeah, so the bunny suit told Paul that... <laughs> so, the dude in the bunny suit told Paul that he was trespassing, and if he came any closer, he would be beheaded. So the police investigated both cases, but had to close them due to lack of evidence. And in the following weeks, police received more than 50 phone calls from people who had cited the bunny man. Ooh. Yeah. So this one is from Terry gave me the idea. So Terry's like, I'm waiting for you guys to put out, you know, some nice stuff. And we were talking. I was like, look, 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 look. I'm working on an article. For like real urban legends. He goes, yeah, oh yeah. He's like, I, I heard about one where it says like, you know, a guy's riding a motorbike around um, a playground, but there's like a chain or something. He gets decapitated. And I was like, wait, I know that's actually true for snowmobilers. My ex-husband used to snowmobile and there was this one person that was riding. They had a kid on the back too. And I think they accidentally ran into a wire fence and it killed them both. I don't know if they were decapitated, but I know it hit him in the neck, right? Mm -hmm. So then I look it up and I got... So, oh, my first two stories were Wikipedia stories. But this one, oh, no, I had to pull from shit coming from everywhere. The Voice, which is an online paper, Michigan.gov, I went to, and I checked out the Chicago Tribune. So, here, are you ready? I'm ready. February 11th, 2010, in Marine City, Michigan, an unusual, unusual snowmobile accident occurred. And I must have read, I'm not kidding, 20 snowmobile accident articles. Terrifying. One was this lady... She was certain in her 60s. She'd been riding a snowmobile her whole life. She started it up and went to go pull off like the cover. And it somehow jammed the accelerator and the snowmobile flew forward and crushed her between her and the truck. I'll hold, my, I'll hold the rest of my thoughts till I get a little further down. <laughs> okay. okay. So around 1125 a.m., a man was driving through Woodlawn Cemetery and he became confused. You know, like maybe it was like really shiny from the snow or whatever. And he drove over the seawall that separates the cemetery from Bell River. So he broke through the ice with the water reaching like the frame of the car. So it's not that deep, but deep enough, right? Mm -hmm. So when the tow truck was called, they initially tried to pull the vehicle over the seawall, but they weren't able to. 
So they decided to pull the vehicle across the river to the opposite bank, and they hooked it up to cables. And officers at the scene placed six flares on either side to warn people of the danger because people are going up and down the river on snowmobiles, right? So then they cleared the ice um, in case more breakage occurred, right? They're like, everybody said clear. And the tow truck and the police vehicle were parked on the shore with their lights on. So there's lights on on the yeah, shore. Yeah, got flares, lights. Yeah, yeah, at this point I was like, was this article written by the, the defense team for the police? <laughs> <laughs> so as they were working... People were snowmobiling on the ice, and they stopped to watch what was happening, right? They're watching a car get towed across the ice. Around 12.30 p.m., two snowmobilers, one being Anthony Stiber, came onto the scene. Anthony, who was 21 years old, was behind his friend, and his friend slows to a stop, but Anthony veers around them and accelerates, strikes the cable that's across the ice, and it strikes him in his upper chest, like, neck area. Mm -hmm. He's rushed to the hospital. He's dead. He just hit it so hard. Mm-hmm. So, so far, for the winter that stretches, this winter, and I looked this up, and it's only giving dates into February, from 2019 to 2020, at least 10 people in Michigan have died due to snowmobiling accidents. According to Michigan Snowmobile Fatality Report, we have a fatality report we put out every year for snowmobiles specifically. Um, the, the report for 2019 to 2020, going too fast, to successfully negotiate a turn and colliding with trees are the biggest factors in deaths. Now, there's a whole that. bunch of them, like people shooting across the road and a car is coming. That happens. A lot of times it is people hitting each other head to head. One person can't turn in time. A lot of it is you don't make it around the turn. You crash into a tree. So many of it. One of the things is, as I'm reading the snowmobile fatality report, it asks, like, the name of the person, uh, or, like, their age, one of the things is, were they on, uh, was alcohol a factor? That's one of the very, cause there's only like 10 things to fill out. And I'm like, wow, we must get drunk in snowmobile a lot where they have to start asking it. Yeah. One of the questions that I was like, oh, that's good. Is, have they had a snowmobile safety course? So I guess there's snowmobile safety courses. Mm-hmm. So in Illinois in 2003, Michael Wiscom, who was 27 years old, was snowmobiling with his friend Thomas Sikowski, S-I-E-C-K-O-W-S-K-I. They were speeding across... Pistake, P-I-S-T-A-K-E-E, Pistake Lake on January 9th, when their snowmobile broke through the ice and dumps Thomas off the back, right? They break through the ice, boop, Thomas falls off the back into the water. Michael held onto the machine and kept going. And when Michael looks back and can see Thomas on his machine, he turns around to go get him. Michael was doing more than 100 miles per hour when he hit Thomas, who was in the process of climbing out of the oh, water. Shit. Michael decapitated Thomas, killing him instantly. Yes, Michael was drunk. A lot of these people are drunk. Yeah. Yes. So that's wow. so I was like, yeah, Terry, people do get <laughs> decapitated while on snowmobiles wow. or by a snowmobile. So I want this a little easier. This one I got from Snopes because I'd heard it a few times. And I'd actually heard a couple on an NPR podcast. And I was like, all right. So Oregon blew up a whale and it actually caused major damage to the environment around it. So... In 1970, the Oregon Highway Division attempted to get rid of a whale's riding carcass by blowing it up. And it failed, and it caused damage to the surrounding area by the flying flubber. Like blubber. Boom! <laughs> right, for example, a three-by-five-foot, <laughs> three so three-feet-by-five-feet three piece of blubber flew through the air for about a quarter mile before crushing a car's roof. Okay. <laughs> 
So here's what happened. A dead sperm whale who are about 45 feet long and weigh eight tons. Now, a ton is about 2,200 pounds. Mm -hmm. So this thing is like 16,000 pounds, okay? <laughs> it washes up on the shore in Florence. And the smell of its rotting body was having a negative effect on the area's tourism. Tourism. Now, all I could think of was, you know, in Jaws, when he's like, we're not shutting down the beach. Amityville <laughs> needs the tourism or whatever. I was like, people are like, oh, shit, what's that smell? <laughs> it's ruining our tourism. <laughs> My kid can't eat this week if we don't get tour tourism people in here. Tourists. It was decided that the best thing to do, they're like, here's what we do. We're going to take a half ton of dynamite and we're going to blow the whale into more manageable pieces. But that is actually not what happened. So they believed that the smaller pieces would be eaten by fish and seagulls. They're like, we're going to blow it up, right? And just like little chunks are going to rain up in the air and then we're going to feed the fish and the birds with that. Only that's not what happened. Yeah. So instead, just a portion of the whale blew up. They must not have like spread it out properly. <laughs> and luckily, the large pieces of whale missed the onlookers because people are like sitting around in chairs, like this is gonna be awesome, Bob. And then all of a sudden, like boom, and just there's just blood. They're, and they're shit literally everywhere. covered like just yeah, shit and blood, organs, fat, nice. skin. Yeah. So, but it. All the giant chunks that damaged property missed the onlookers. They were just like blood spray all over them. I'm like, that's not clean. You need to get clean. You need to get right. clean. Okay. <laughs> so they I don't were, think you're coming back yeah, from that. They were literally rained upon by small pieces of rotting flesh and blood. So after that, the authorities decided it'd be best to bury the remaining portion of the well. <laughs> you know what I was thinking when you yeah. said that? Yeah. I'm thinking I would have got a ship. Uh-huh. Try to tow it out. Tow it out to the fucking sea and leave it. Like, no, after that, I was thinking, what why do they would, normally do? Yeah, why, why would you want to blow it up? Why it can't you just take it back from where it came from? I know, right? So the account of the exploding well was voted Oregon's best news story of the year that year, <laughs> in 1970. Is that on video? Um, no, but I actually heard an interview from the guy that was there. And Dave Barry, you have to read. Dave Barry wrote a famous and hilarious article about the incident. You have to read his story. Just Google Dave Barry whale blow up Oregon or something like that. <laughs> and it is hilarious. Wow. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. What about me? Oh, shit. Fuck. Go. <laughs> wow. <an> asshole. Jeez. <laughs> uh, if you want to fire well, me Well, you don't need that. was such a great story. If you want to fire my... me now, I will leave. Okay? Fire me. I'm sorry. Oh, you know what I was thinking? <laughs> you know what? I posted that thing on my wedding anniversary. I was like, look, Chad, you love me. And you're like, No. I think people did not know what to do with that. Nobody responded. I was waiting. Michael, Mike Keefe laughed. He had already laughed at it. Oh, had he? Yeah. Yeah, but I was like, people, I, and plus we gave the middle finger emoji, which means okay yeah. <laughs> to each other. I think people did not know how to respond to that. I was right? like, she's not, it's just a joke. We're, I mock the people I love. Oh my God, did I tell you what I did to my sister the other day? Mm -mm. So my daughter, Ariana, tries to FaceTime my older sister, Poppy. But as the FaceTime is ringing, Ariana gets up and walks away. And I see, all of a sudden, I see Poppy come on. Now, you know my sisters and I, we like to curse at each other and mock each other. That's how we get along, right? Yeah. Also, now I looked at, also, I get in front of the FaceTime, her phone. I was like, I just want you to know that when I'm calling you ugly, it's not how you look. Your face is cute. Your eyes are gorgeous. I mean, your face is all right. You got gorgeous green eyes. But, bitch, your essence is ugly, okay? Your soul <laughs> is trash. Like, I'm just talking to her. That's, as soon as she opens the phone, that's what she hears, right? <laughs> And all of a sudden, I see her eyes get really big, and her eyes shift to the side. She had friends over. Oh, <laughs> and I'm like, 
Your soul is trash. Your essence is garbage. <laughs> your face is all right. Your eyes are pretty, but who you are as a person is horrible. <laughs> oh then she's like, Ben has a friend over. I'm like, oop, tell your friend. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, but That's I'm ready okay. to listen to you, Jen. I'm sorry. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Um, I have the murder of Jessica Flood, okay. age 28, okay. in Mount Morris Township near Flint, Michigan. Wow. On June 2018, Jessica had last been seen with Jennifer Harrington on their way to the Great Western Inn located in Flint to use heroin in room 21. Ooh, it's specific. You know, I can't say that word. Specific. Specific. Oh, whatever. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I got you say it. Sorry. Stop till I can get through this. <laughs> Jessica's body was discovered on June 25th, 2018, when another customer who rented the room complained to management that the room had a foul odor. The manager found Jessica's body stuffed under the bed. Oh, my God. That I should have used as a real urban legend. Yeah. Because that is real. On June 22nd, 2018, while police were investigating a different case where a man, Aaron Thornton, was shot multiple times, it was found that he had murdered someone. Okay, so they're looking into the guy that was killed, and they found out the guy that was killed had killed somebody? No. Oh, The shit. guy that got shot, but he's not dead. Oh, he's not dead. He just got nope, shot. He okay. got shot. So he he's shot, and they're he... looking into the shot, dude, and they say, hey, shot, dude, we think you killed somebody. Correct. Ooh. And that his girlfriend, Jennifer Harrington, was involved in the murder, too. Harrington, age 33, and Thornton, age 36, were the people who rented. Wait, I was going to say, wasn't that the girl that was with Yeah. Yep, at the Great Western Inn. And they were arrested and charged with the murder of Jessica at this point. Okay, okay. wow. In December 2018, Thornton was in court. There was testimony from an inmate who claimed Thornton admitted to killing Jessica and described how he and his girlfriend did it. That Jessica, Harrington, and Thornton were in the hotel room taking drugs and performing sexual acts on each other. During the time Jessica was performing oral sex on Thornton, he strangled strangled her to death by wrapping his legs around her and uh, wrapping around a cord around her neck. Oh my God. After he murdered her, Thornton and Harrington shoved her under the bed. Damn. In Jan- so, okay, now, so June 2018, then they were in court. Okay. December 2018, now you're at January 2019. Okay. A judge ruled Aaron would stand trial on charges of homicide, first-degree murder, and unlawful imprisonment, while Jennifer would stand trial for accessory after the fact. After hearing testimony, the judge talked about how he believes she was present when Aaron murdered Jessica, but didn't believe there was any evidence that she actively participated in the murder. At this point, Thornton was being held in prison and Harrington was released on a tether with restrictions, no drugs or alcohol use, no contact with Thornton or the family. Now come the hell on. You're in a hotel room. Well, look, you are watching this guy murder someone. I think you're just now involved. I agree. And you helped him shove the body under the bed. You didn't call the well, cops. That, you didn't call well, for help. That would be accept, considered accessory yeah. after the fact, uh-huh. shoving under the bed. But come on. You're in the room. You could have left. That's true. You picked up 
Uh, I mean, you probably couldn't have picked up a phone. He would have strangled well, you, you know, too. But well, you could you have know ran. That she, that at one point, the lady that's being choked starts to struggle. You're not still going down on her. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? It the was, woman's... Yeah. yeah. So then, uh, in March 2019, the case was stuck in court delays. Court dates being rescheduled to, due to autopsy reports not being finished on time. It was Jessica's mom who started calling the medical examiner, leaving voicemails starting back in October of 2018 to push things forward. The delays were due to Michigan budget issues and the lack of pathologists. At the time, Michigan only actually had 27 forensic pathologists in March of 2019. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we're we're for shit around here. We're falling to pieces. Fast forward now to February 2020. So that blows my mind. You know, June 2018 and now we're in February 2020. Yeah. Yep. Aaron Thornton pled guilty to second degree murder for the strangling and and murder. Oh, she did plead guilty. No, wait, Aaron is the dude. Never mind. He was sentenced (laughs) to a minimum of 25 years to 62 years in prison. Jessica Harrington pled guilty to accessory after the fact and hasn't been sentenced yet this month. Oh, she gets sentenced in March? Yeah. Okay. Now, this is crazy. Okay. Back up all the way to June 22nd, 2018, when Aaron gets shot and the police are investigating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, Go back all the way to that moment. Yes. When he was shot, it was believed he was shot while trying to obtain a body bag to move Jessica's body. He was shot by someone who believed he had stolen drugs from them. Oh, so he's trying to get a body bag. That's like, aren't you yeah. going to do this stole drugs from me? Pop, pop, pop. Yeah. Oh, my and God. So if he wouldn't have gotten shot, he would have probably, and then he they didn't rent the, the room. Or, yeah. I, I don't think they would have ever gotten away with it. Come on, they were the last people that rented the room. Okay, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think if the room wasn't rented, he would have been able to get that her body out and true then, and then, then the next people right yeah so then you wouldn't have never known then yeah so i looked into the great western inn which oh my god yeah like kind of like that one muskegon hotel yeah, okay yeah okay oh okay. i have to say something else in a second but, okay yep just like the muskegon hotel yeah so wasn't it rode in something like that yeah yeah uh, yeah so the great western inn is in flint michigan and it has since been closed under the Michigan State Public Nuisance Ordinance. Between 2016 and 2018, there were more than 250 police calls to the motel. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then I, the side note on Muskegon, it's yeah. funny because now that we're back doing this and I'm investigating, I swear I have like six, seven. Really? Muskegon story. I, it is so amazing. Now how, the Muskegon's on I your radar. I have no idea why it comes on my darn news feed. But well, therefore, it, they're like, I think she's interested in Muskegon. Like, and I'm like, why? <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. I cannot believe people live there. Like, run for your lives. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Contact us at anchor or michiganandothermayhem at gmail.com or on Facebook to join the conversation, listen to the podcast, or correct us when necessary. Rate and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast provider. Bye-bye now.